Welcome. It's time to elevate your consciousness and tune in. This is Mastermind with your host, Dr. Rebecca. This show is about possibilities. If you're successful, ready, and highly motivated to make the necessary changes in your life, we'll provide the tools, direction, and encouragement to help you along the way. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca. Welcome back to Mastermind. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca, and you are joining us for the second of two shows on the power of sound. Last week, we spoke to Mr. Julian Treasure, leading sound expert and internationally renowned TED speaker. We learned about the mental, physiological, and psychological aspects of sound. We also learned how to speak so that we're heard and how to listen better to others. This week, we have the privilege of speaking with Mr. David Huey. Lauded by critics as golden-toned, honey-voiced, first-class, and vocally stunning, David Huey is quickly gaining notable recognition as one of the world's most versatile rising stars. From the Broadway stage to the world's preeminent opera houses and concert halls, this young performer is an intuitive artist whose stage prowess encompasses a variety of genres. After making his Broadway debut in the Tony Award-winning revival of the Gershwin's Porgy and Bess, Mr. Huey joined the Broadway First National Tour in the role of Jake and was recently featured on the soundtrack to the Oscar award-winning feature film, 12 Years a Slave. Mr. David Huey is a native of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he has appeared both in the U.S. and abroad in major opera houses, and you can check those out at his website, davidhuey.com. He's also duly acclimated to the musical theater stage and has performed a variety of roles uh, there, too. As a concert artist, he has garnered international recognition as a sensitive and passionate interpreter of song and oratorio and has had concerts in various countries, both in the U.S. and abroad. He's also noted for his unique background in the world of dance and has studied and performed with the world's leading vernacular and world dance artists in Gambia, West Africa, Cuba, Puerto Rico, and Brazil. Mr. Huey holds a Bachelor of Music from the Oberlin College Conservatory of Music and a Master's of Music from the Manhattan School of Music, where he was a Rogers and Hammerstein Scholar. And if you will notice, we do have the same last name. This is not a coincidence. Mr. David Huey is also my brother. David Huey, welcome to Mastermind. Thank you. Thank you. So you have done a lot over um, in your career, and I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, some of the things that you've done. So it looks like you've done musical theater, you've done opera, you've done dance. Can you tell us uh, what's unique about each of those and what you enjoyed about each one of those uh, genres? Wow. Um, well, first of all, I guess I hadn't, you know, it never feels like you've done that much until I heard you reading it. <laughs> and um, I guess I have. I, um, yeah, I've had a unique career in that um, I've been able to sort of go in and out of genres. And uh, I will say that each one has its own uh, unique uh, vibration. It has its own unique uh, sort of mode of operation and it, it stimulates me in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when uh, I was doing the classical music 
your brain is processing so much information as an opera singer, um, even you know, passively, the harmonic language, the rhythmic language is so layered and so intentional and so complex, you know, that you're mm-hmm. processing all that. And at the same time, looking at the conductor at the same time, uh, singing usually in uh, another language. Um, yeah. And so you leave with this very heightened intellectual musical experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also be very emotional, um, but what is most immediate, or what for me, what was most immediate was the was certainly the intellectual aspect of the performance. Um, but then in musical theater, well, let me have, pause right there, yeah. just yeah. Um, to, so you are singing in different languages, and I think it's important to note that uh, you have had to in your education. Um, had to learn how to speak these native these languages like a native speaker. What languages are you fluent in? Well, I gotta say, um, I haven't had to speak them in in, in quite a while. But um, you know, I studied certainly in and speak Italian, uh, German, Spanish. Uh, I can make my way enough in French, but I would definitely never say that I am fluent. Um, and maybe even barely conversational in French. Uh, I, I don't know how I managed to escape that one. Um, but yeah, those are the languages. Okay, good. All right. And so then this transition to musical theater, how's musical theater different? So musical theater, um, for me, what is immediate is the emotional availability. Um, you know, when I came from opera and I first started doing musical theater auditions, you know, the director or, or casting or whoever it was that was sitting behind the table would, would, would say, okay, can you do that again? Um, and just not sing so much or not, you know, can you, can you connect with the text a little more? Because, you know, I've been trained, my training is actually in classical music, so I've been trained to just stand there and make your voice as beautiful as you possibly can, um, you know, and to move people that way. And, um, you know, in musical theater, what is so important is the storytelling, uh, the yeah. storytelling aspect. And that is not to say that, you know, in opera, you don't have the storytelling aspect. Um, but, you know, in opera, when critics are coming, they're coming to hear your voice. You know, you, you've got a high C. Everyone all night is waiting for that particular note to see how you do it, to see how it's going to sound. Is it free? Does it resonate? Is it powerful? Is it this? Is it that? But, you know, uh, also, the, the stories are, are much older, and mm-hmm. everyone already knows them. And so, right. uh, um, you know, they're really focusing on your voice. But in musical theater, um, you've, you've got to connect emotionally in a way that is immediate um, and really, really, really tell a story. And not that the voice is not important, but it is certainly not as important um, and so, you know, I, I would say that, yeah, for me, uh, musical theater, for me, emotionally, you know, there are some musical theater songs or some shows that just, you know, really um, move you, compel you, and you don't have to, um, you know, sort of sort through anything linguistically or harmonically mm. or rhythmically. Uh, to find it and you don't have to be trained to understand it you don't have to be well read or well traveled to appreciate it you just sort of immediately 
can connect with a character and their emotion because of the vulnerability that that's there emotionally. So yeah, that's what the difference for me, uh, you know, what it's been my experience. That sounds nice. Uh, both sound really important and, like you said, very different. So with the classical music, these stories are already known and people are coming to hear your voice, to hear you showcase your voice and to say, how is he going to tell this story differently? I know the story. How is he going to impress me with his voice and telling his version of this story? And then mm-hmm. musical theater, they don't know the story. You, your job is to present the story to them in a way that moves them emotionally to get emotionally involved and personally involved mm-hmm. in the story and kind of caught up in, mm-hmm. in the storytelling, which it feels very different. And both are very important, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, and then also you studied dance in, in multiple countries. And I bet each one of those was also a different experience. You know, even though it's dance, there are tons of different dances, different cultures. Um, I'm sure religious aspects as well. What, what was your life like navigating these um, different cultures and dance? Well, I got to tell you, I initially took it up uh, for physical activity. Hmm. Um, I remember being in college and I wanted to drop some weight and I gone, I went to this performance, um, at Oberlin and there was this group called dance diaspora and I, uh, it was like a, um, African dance troupe and, um, I went and it was such an electric performance, um, that I immediately enrolled in, in dance class there at the school and after maybe a semester or so auditioned for dance diaspora and I got in and, um, you know, begin to really uh, take seriously, you know, all of these dances. Um, I first, the first, my first study abroad was in Gambia, uh, West Africa, and that was uh, really transformative. And uh, all this is very unconventional, by the way, for you know, for an opera singer to take mm-hmm. this path. But um, you know, it's it was my path, and I, I certainly wouldn't ever, you know, wouldn't go back and do anything differently. Um, so that was Gambia. And then I, I went to Gambia again. Uh, so I went there a couple times. Um, to Cuba, to Brazil, um, went to Puerto Rico, and um, sort of studied all of the African-based forms of right. dance in all of these countries. And... Yes, you know, it, it is in the African tradition that you don't really separate one thing from the other. So, you know, your religious experience is tied up in the dance. Right. Your musical experience is tied up in the, in the religious experience, and it's also tied up in the dance. And, it's, you know, you don't separate any of them. So um, it, it was focused on dance, but it certainly was another layer of musical um, study for me as well mm. yeah and, and I like too, so to to contrast that even with the with the third type of performance is a performance in which you're um, it's a kinesthetic performance so you have the intellectual and then we describe the emotional and then this is it, it ties it all together intellectual emotional kinesthetic you're incorporating your whole being, who you are as a person, who your culture is, what your cultural music is like. Um, and that's all expressed in a physical way. So um, yes. 
that type of performance feels even completely different than the other two and even more inclusive, it would seem like in a way. Oh, for sure. For sure. And the most, I would say the most uh, potential to, um, you know, to, in my experience, to shift consciousness or to, to, to right. uh, compel a person or change a person um, because there's this sort of, uh, complete s- submission to what it is you're doing and complete loss of self in it. Mm. Um, and these other, you know, these other two areas could sometimes impede up- upon your ability to do that. If you get too intellectual while doing mm. it, if you get too emotional while doing it, um, it you know, it certainly, uh, you know, it, c- it can set you back. So, you know, it's, you've got to sort of be open in a way. And when you open yourself that way, you certainly um, allow yourself to be transformed. Um, right. And, yeah. And that would allow others to be transformed when they feel or sense like in their inner beings that you are completely submitted to this dance, this music. And like you said, the loss of self. And I think that's why a uh, very very good just moving dance performance you um you allow people to lose themselves because you lose yourself and they join you in that dance and just you know for those few moments or you know maybe hour or two they lose themselves in it they lose you know their ego their their problems Mm -hmm. whatever's been going on and they can leave that performance as a changed person because they've left all that behind as you've allowed yourself to leave it all behind yeah that's excellent so we have we have a couple minutes left um before break i just want to you to tell us what you're doing now what's going on in your life right now well right now i am on tour with a broadway musical called waitress um there is currently a company running on broadway in new york and also um in london uh, and we are the touring company, all the same show. Uh, the music was written by Sarah Bareilles, and um, yeah, I'm just I'm just hanging out on 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 a first national tour, having a good time. Good. Okay. And where are you right now? What city are you in? Uh, Indianapolis at the moment, but uh, later today uh, we head to Grand Rapids. So I'm only here for maybe a couple more hours. Okay, so Indianapolis, but on your way to Grand Rapids. Okay, so um, what we're going to do when we come back, I want to talk to you about some specific types of music. And I'll just ask you some questions and we'll let the, um, the audience experience kind of the emotional aspects of what different types of uh, music hold for them. And I also want to remind listeners that you can hear or you can see Mr. Uh, David Huey at davidhuey.com, D-A-V-I-D-H-U-G-H-E-Y.com. And then how can we find you on Instagram? Yes, I am Mr. David Huey uh, on Instagram. So at Mr. David Huey. Okay, excellent. Yep. So you are listening to Mastermind. We're talking to Mr. David Huey, and we will see you after the break. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. 
Do you feel you have a bigger life's purpose than you're currently living? Of course you do. Activate your passion as you tune in to Sovereign Self with host Sophia Renea Morales. Become the conscious creator of your own life. Connect with your most powerful and purposeful self in order to make big things happen for you now. Sophia and her guests are doing this every day and are sharing how you can step into this power too. Listen to Sovereign Self every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Change can be a scary thing. It's way too easy to stay inside your comfort zone. But the world is changing, and that's not going to stop without adapting yourself to the rest of life is just selling yourself short. Join Sandra Hill every week for Grow Your Voice, Overcome Your Fears. You gain insight with expert guests, experiences, and tools to help you navigate the change and perhaps even welcome it. Listen live on Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Mastermind with Dr. Rebecca. To reach out to us during the live show, please call in to one 866 472 5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or you can send an email to Dr. Huey at lifthealing.com. Now, back to Mastermind. And welcome back to Mastermind. This is your host, Dr. Rebecca, and I am here with Mr. David Huey, um, who is opera singer, um, Broadway performer, dancer, uh, many other things. And before the break, we were talking about um, all the things that he's done and the difference in um, the genres that that he's familiar with and how they're different and how that shaped his career and um, his unique career and um, how it shaped him as a person. So I want to go back a little bit more to um, we talked about initially with the um, experience in the different dance traditions. And uh, David, can you talk to us a little more about, I have a question specifically about rhythms. And we talked about the whole body experience of dance and losing yourself in the music. And I would imagine even within, you know, the different cultural traditions that there are different rhythms involved and um, different emotional experiences, even within the, these, um, these dance traditions. Yeah. So, I mean, musically, um, you know, like I said, it was all of my, my dance training is, well, not all of it. And I've done some ballet and some other things, but, um, you know, the majority of my training has been in Afro-based dance. And so, 
like I, you know, was saying you can't really separate that from the music. So talking about the musical element, um, you're talking about trans. You're talking about repetition in a way that is intentionally designed to uh, invoke the divine or, or to go into a heightened spiritual state. Mm. Um, and the, the dance works in tandem with that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a certainly a, a, a spiritual experience. And um, it has an effect on you in that way. Um, the drumming is done in such a way that, you know, at, after a short period of time, you know, you, you're, you're slightly, you know, there are certainly different states of uh, trans, but, um, you know, you're slightly entranced. And then in that space, in that space, uh, you do the work to to heighten to heighten the atmosphere to heighten the the um, the space. Hmm. And in that being entranced in that way, um, have you experienced that? I guess my question is how does how does that help you, or how is that how does that affect you um, even when you're finished with a specific uh, performance? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it has to do with, with, for me, and from what I can observe, um, has to do with frequency. And you sort of, I, I would say, alter your frequency. And, and it's kind of, you know, of course, you've heard if, if you throw a, a, a stone in a, in a pond or in a lake, the ripples last forever, mm-hmm. um, you know, or ha- they have some sort of eternal or unending effect, uh, you know, that you prop, that you won't probably observe as a human being, but trust that it is there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's sort of the same thing. It's kind of like you have internalized these frequencies and you have internalized these vibrations and you, you stay heightened, um, you know, for, for quite some time. And I'm sure that there are, you know, the sort of the same lasting effects on the body and on the mind and, uh, you know, even in ways that you don't observe or understand later. So in those lasting effects, I know uh, but, and believe that part of that is, is lasting healing effects. And I know you've worked with the healer in, in conjunction with um, the dancing. Have you, um, do you have anything to say about the healing aspects of, of dance and what it can do for you in this heightened or altered state? Hmm. Yes. Um, the healing effects. It, I think it manifests differently for, you know, for each person. Um, you know, if you were looking at this on paper, <laughs> you know, there is the sort of basic uh, layman's understanding of that this is, you know, exercise. And so, um, right. you know, you have all of the, the endorphins and the, the benefits that come with physical activity. Um, and you, you have to, because of the, the nature, the nature of the, of the, the music and of the dance, you have to be present. Um, there is no real memory mm-hmm. when you're in it and there mm-hmm. is no real future 
It's Ooh. really only about wow. now. Um, you know, whereas in opera or musical theater, obviously you're telling a story. One has to be attached. I can't cry at the end of the second act. Right. Unless I've held on to whatever idea you put in my head in the first act. So, you know, it's, it's a different sort of thing. And you even as an actor have to, to, to hold on to those ideas in order to effectively tell the story. You know, whereas in, in, in this sort of dance and in this sort of music, it is only right now. Mm. Um, and in that particular state, um, I think uh, immense healing can, can take place. And when I talk about healing in this regard, I'm talking about emotional. I'm talking about uh, spiritual, um, physical as well. But um, being in the now, um, certainly, and you know, there are plenty of books written about this and a lot of research done on it. Being in the now can certainly alleviate um, so much, so much uh, trauma, um, suffering, pain, all of these things, um, you know, that we all deal with on, in, in various right. levels, um, you know, being in the now and, and invoking also intention in the now. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, should, you, should it cross your mind to, to even, you know, uh, while you're doing sort of music or this dance to sort of even meditate on those things, um, it can bring, you know, certainly an immense amount of healing. Mm, I really, yeah, yeah, that that emotional healing. And also I think it's important for people to understand because there are people out there who um, realize that there's emotional healing and movement and for whatever reason have a really, really tough time moving. Either they have chronic pain or, you know, can't move for whatever reason. And um, one, I think a little bit of movement, even whatever you can do is good. But then secondly, like we talked about in the first segment, just experiencing other people losing themselves in mm-hmm. that movement is, is healing as well. Mm-hmm. Even if yes. you can move a muscle. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can feel that vibration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a really good dancer can transfer that vibration emotionally to someone, even if, you know, they're in chronic pain and um, they can live that, they can um, live that experience through that dancer, that mm-hmm. person who's moving mm-hmm. and uh, in that trance-like state. Um, let's shift a little bit now to classical music, which again, as you described, has a different effect, has a different um I don't know, emotional cadence, maybe um, your experience with classical music and how uh, that might shape someone emotionally or affect someone emotionally. Yes. You know, classical music is so interesting because, you know, you start in classical music, then you get into these emotional conventions um, and, and, and it makes you wonder what came first, the chicken or the egg. You know, I'll talk about, even though, you know, I'm a singer, I'll talk somewhat about the symphony. There are these sort of um, constants, you know, in classical music that certain instruments evoke certain emotions. And because of that, um, composers compose in such a way um, that they 
you know, they, they keep this in mind when they compose. For instance, you know, um, you hear a flute or piccolo. You know, in, in the majority of classical music, that is associated with happiness. Yeah, I do think or, of happiness, lightness. Yeah, or lightness, you know. Yeah. Very seldom, which I'm sure, you know, some composers, you know, have definitely challenged this. But, you know, you seldom think, okay, um, you're having a war scene. Right. You know what I mean? And all you hear is a piccolo. Right. For some reason, <laughs> that wouldn't resonate with people. And so, you know, when you read about this sort of thing, you know, it's, it's stated that this is learned behavior, that somehow as humans we have learned this mm-hmm. and that, you know, composers will use this as, as, as a learned convention. But at the same time, it makes you wonder what innately is in human beings. I mean, yes, it's learned, but there was a point at which this was purely expressed. Right. It came, it, you know, it came out of humanity. It came out of human expression and, and, and manifested itself in, in music. Um, you know, when you hear brass very often in, in, in opera and even in symphonic, symphonic literature, you know, it's declamatory. It is loud. When royalty arrives, it is brass. When, mm-hmm. you know, uh, very often, again, like in a war or, or battle scene, you, you, you know, you've got brass. You know, why does that, why do those instruments resonate with us in that way? Right. Um, in like opera. Forceful, more. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. In opera, oh, you have certain ranges of a voice. And so, uh, you know, for instance, a deep uh, bass, right? This is the mm-hmm. lowest male voice type. Um, you, you, you'll see that uh, the bass very often as a priest or mm. a king right. uh, or a father, um, you know? And so you just say, well, you know, what is this groundedness, this earthiness, this connectedness right. to, to the earth? You know, we, we're associating that frequency with priesthood and we're associating it with royal, you know, with, with, with kingship, um, you know, and, and then you have a light, correct, correct, you know, a light, high, what we call a coloratura soprano who has a somewhat light voice that moves a lot, a lot of agility, you know, there are certain s- stories that are told, um, using that voice type uh, to convey certain emotions that are not at all priestly or kingly. Um, you know, and you, it makes you wonder how, you know, humans evolved in such a way that we resonate with these frequencies and associate them with these different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? You, and people say, well, we've learned to associate these frequencies or these types of voices or these sounds with certain moods uh, and that it's all learned, but it had to at some point not only be presented as that, but then accepted by the culture or the general population as that. So it had to resonate in some way with people in order for it to continue and propagate. Correct, correct. So, um, and we have about two minutes left. Um, is there anything briefly in musical theater, anything maybe that you could extract um, 
emotionally any techniques or um, not sure the right language, but something, the, the unique aspect emotionally that's presented in musical theater that might be different from, from those two? Uh, sure. I think for me, and, you know, I, everyone has their different thing, but with musical theater, um, you know, they don't use these conventions as much. Um, they certainly use them. Um, I would say not as much. It's so much about telling a good story that one can immediately emotionally connect to. Um, and so the range of voice um, in musical theater is frankly not quite as wide. You know, basses exist in musical theater, sopranos exist in musical theater, but um, the spectrum I would not say is as uh, consistently wide. Mm -hmm. uh, the male range in musical theater usually is it within a, a berry tent, what we call a berry tenor, sometimes a tenor range. Um, and likewise, the, the female uh, registers are, uh, you know, similar. There are, you know, some, some people sing higher than others for sure. Like there definitely is range and don't want to convey that there isn't. But um, so what you, what you're left with because you don't, you're not, you're not, sort of spreading it out that wide, you're left with just the storytelling. So yeah. the focus is not on how high the voice can go or how low the voice can go or, or how long a note can be held or, and all these things that are um, important in classical music and in classical singing. Um, so, so you're left to assume that this is really about the emotional aspect and the storytelling, right. uh, which is very powerful for people. Right, it's right. What especially keeps people coming. Yeah, yeah. If they can resonate, if their experiences resonate with that particular story, um, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, good. So we're, we're going to pause here for a minute, and uh, for everybody who's listening, we're talking with Mr. David Huey. You're listening to Mastermind, and we will be back after the break. starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. There's a new force to be reckoned with in talk radio. It's not just talk radio. Hosted by LaTanya Jr. and co-host Tina Wynn and Tony Brown. Not Just Talk Radio is like a superhero, inspiring, problem-solving, and informing. Packed with action-provoking conversations from news, movements, and social and politics issues. This program is about a wide range of voices and fresh points of view from experts, celebrities, and you, the listener. Not Just Talk Talk Radio is broadcast live Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune in to Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel and get amplified. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. You are listening to Mastermind with Dr. Rebecca. To reach out to us during the live show, please call in to 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or you can send an email to Dr. Huey at lifthealing.com. Now, back to Mastermind. And welcome back to Mastermind. This is your host, Dr. Rebecca, and I'm here with David Huey. We've been talking about sound. We've been talking about music, vibration, and um, the emotional impacts of, of different types of music, different types of instruments, different types of voices. And just taking a little tour through, through his, his life and um, his experiences in the process. So... No, so we had an interesting conversation during the break about uh, David, your work with children, and we mentioned before the break about chicken or egg. You know, do different types of sounds are, are we culturally taught that different types of sounds affect us in certain ways, or is this innate? And you had a really interesting comment about that um, that dilemma. Can you explain a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. So when I first moved to New York City um, to go to grad school, one of the first jobs I had uh, was with the New York City Opera. And one of the the, um, aspects of that job was that we went into elementary schools um, and either performed with the kids, but we would do these little workshops about opera and about singing and um, we would do these exercises and um, certainly after that particular job, you know, I've done this with children, uh, even younger children. Um, and it's, it's fascinating. So you, we would play, well, when I did it with the opera, uh, we would play or sing different types of music, um, opera music because there is a wide variety in opera you have baroque music you have really powerful uh loud opera singing you have really quiet opera singing you have fast you have slow um and so we would we would do these musical examples and, and ask the children to walk around the room and let and move your body the way the music makes you feel and um and later, like I said, when doing this with other elements and not just opera, it, it, it sort of even widens um, the experience. You might play African drums. You might play rock and roll. You might play, um, <laughs> you know, Baby Shark or, or whatever, <laughs> kind of, you know. Um, and it's interesting to watch consistently. Now, of course, you know, we know that children sort of follow each other. 
and not everybody is is just coming up with their own thing but um you know consistently um you would see children move their bodies in the same ways across demographic, across uh, racial and cultural lines. Um, and also, we, there, were, there are also times where we would do that and we would talk to the children and say, how does this make you feel? Or what does this make you want to do? Uh, this type of music. Oh, that's angry. Or that makes me angry. Or that makes me sad. Or that makes me happy. Or that makes me think of um, food or makes me think of my birthday party or, you know, yeah. um, and it was pretty, pretty consistent, um, that, that these children would have these, these reactions to the music. Um, some of the music made them want to just lay down on their back. Mm-hmm. Uh, some made music would make them want to do cartwheels and, you know, in, invariably, um, African drumming makes you want to dance. Even if you, even a baby, mm. if you really observe, you know, a baby um, or toddler, really small children, um, they'll, if you put on a certain, you put on a Motown sound, song, they wiggle, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. They kind of dance. It's upbeat and happy, and they, you you don't necessarily get that if you play a beautiful, slow, baroque, uh, classical aria. Right. Necessarily get that that same reaction, and I, I don't know. I find that fascinating. Yeah, it is. It is. I I like the idea of babies wiggling too. So thank you for that. <laughs> <Right>. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So for the last segment of the show, I know that there's this theme of vibration and a frequency and the effect, the emotional effect of different vibrations and frequencies on us as as people. And there was a a significant change in our music a little bit earlier um, in the 19th century. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that with you and just your take on how music has changed since then. Wow. So, yeah, that's loaded. Um, I think in the, in the realm of frequency, um, 20th century, uh, there was a point at which, and there's this thing called concert pitch. Um, it is sort of what all instruments are tuned to. So I don't know if you've ever been to the symphony or if your listeners have have been to the symphony, you know, there's always a point which, you know, all the instruments are like warming up. You'll hear flutes and you'll hear timpanis when, and, 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 you know, everyone's sort of warming up and sounds like a a beautiful chaos. Mm -hmm. And then the lights will dim and then out comes uh, the concert mistress or concert master. Those are the traditional terms. Um, and they stand in front of the orchestra, they hold up the violin, and they play an A. Um, that pitch that the instrument's tuned to is what we call a concert pitch. And it is okay. now uh, 440 cycles per second, or 440 hertz. Um, prior to around 1936, 1940, in that, in that, uh, in that, in that area, era um prior to that we were tuned to about 432 Mm, okay um and it's a very interesting thing that happened 
um, because a lot of research indicates that this newer frequency has an effect on human beings. Hmm. Um, that from a, well, you know, I, a lot of the, the reading I do is from like a spiritual standpoint. So they talk about chakras, uh, that 440 uh, sort of either some say clashes with or shuts down uh, your sort of middle chakras, um, mainly the heart chakra. Hmm. And, at the, and so things like altruism and empathy um, important are not are it was very important that are not <laughs> that are not fostered or or even they're even uh irritated or agitated by this new by this frequency and you'll hear a lot of people talk about that and what some other people don't talk about as much is that um by the same token it does stimulate the upper chakras okay um so what does that do? At the same time that you're closing down on empathy and altruism, you are stimulating the narcissism, the ego, the, um, you know, sort of the concept of self. Uh-huh. Because these are all the things that are in your head, which are very helpful and very useful, but sort of are part of a greater mechanism that should be operating that includes the heart chakra that includes the lower chakras, right? So you starve one and feed the other. What you get over time are human beings being less empathetic Mm -hmm. um, and more egotistical and more narcissistic, narcissistic. And, and, and you can certainly, anyone, anyone alive today can, can observe this. Right. What we are able to watch happen and allow to happen in our space is getting more and more extreme. People can see an, an, an elderly woman being beat up by someone and like not respond physically. You know, right. people may take out their phone and record, but like there is no physical intrinsic uh, rush to act for, for, for many people. I wouldn't say for everyone, right. but for many people, um, what we're able to, to stomach watching in yeah. television and on movies, what we're able to listen to lyrically in, in music has gotten mm-hmm. more and more uh, extreme. Yeah. And um, we seem to be shutting off, you know, that, that particular part of us. And all music right now is tuned to these higher frequencies. And that, again, the lower frequencies, not only altruism, compassion, you know, the heart, but the, the other, and uh, what I'm hearing, even the, um, the lower chakras, like your, your root chakra, which is connected to, you know, your cultural norms, your, yep. your just sense of, of, of connectedness with other people, um, home, that kind of thing. And, um, so, so I can, I can definitely see the shift in culture and it's interesting to, to consider the notion that somehow that is related in part to the change in the frequencies that we've, that we experience in music and just that slight change from 432 Hertz to 
440 hertz could, could influence and influence us in such a way. And um, also, like you said, we need the intellect and we need the ego, the sense of self, um, but also in balance with these other things that help us to be more compassionate and more loving and altruistic and to help us reach out and be connected. There's such an epidemic of suicides because people are lonely and feel disconnected and feel like no one loves them, like no one cares. And at the same time, they have, you know, 2000 friends on Facebook or they have, you know, millions of followers on Instagram and people are are just more and more lonely. Um, And that speaks to that, that feeding of the ego or, you know, get, and also the starving of the heart, which I think is just really a powerful idea and insight yeah. too. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Can you think of anything for me, what comes to mind is, you know, listening to older music, but you know, a lot of people definitely wouldn't do that, but can you think of other ways that we could personally do uh, to to remedy that within ourselves or maybe within our homes? Absolutely. Um, one is I would say reduce your amount of exposure to this frequency. Um, one can, and of course, when a new, I don't know, Beyonce song comes out, so of course we're going to listen to it. Of course we're going to dance to it and, you know, all of that. Um but I would just monitor it. Um, I would suggest um, getting, and this sounds quirky. Um, this sounds really quirky, but listening to things on record players, listening to old records on record players. If, if you have a piano in your home, uh, I would tune it to have it tuned to 432 or maybe 435 but not necessarily 440. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like this will sound weird at first, but um, the, I mean, the sound at 432 may sound like that sounds a little flat or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, the, is, a lot of research has gone into this sense that this frequency has healing properties. Yeah. That it is holistic and that, you know, they do these, they've done these cymatic experiences with the two frequencies and, and, you know, consistently they find that 432 resonates with nature in the way that the sound itself in sand or whatever substance they use to, uh, to, to conduct these experiments, that these whole shapes are formed mm. by the sound and by the vibration and that consistently with 440, um, it's just sort of messy and indiscriminate, um, nothing coherent is really is really produced by the frequency Hmm. um also things like uh, meditation bowls Mm -hmm. um things like that where you uh sort of rub uh, the the edges of it to create this frequency and i highly suggest that 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 people do something like that i would also expose yourself to culturally other um, and, and maybe one day we'll have a show about this because I mean we're probably running out of time. Yeah, I have about a and, minute. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So all of these scales and frequencies that our ears are t- are tuned to are I have to to say are exclusively Western. Mm. And so when you get into other cultural 
uh, musical expressions, you will find that there are other, in, in traditional Indian music, for instance, there are hundreds, if not thousands, I can't remember the exact amount, of scales. And when you listen to traditional Indian music, sometimes you, from, from a Western ear, the pitch seems to not be um, right in the center. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not, you know, from, right. from further investigation, it's not that the pitch is not in the center. It's that they, they use what we call microtones. Yeah. Uh, they use between C and C sharp, which in, we call a half step, which is the smallest interval in, in Western music. Um, between that, you can, you can pull several other pitches. And so there are other musical places in the, in the world, uh, musical expressions where they use those pitches that are between our smallest interval. I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. It does, so, yeah. More subtlety, uh, more in-between notes, more. Yes. Uh, um, yeah, and there's, I mean, there's infinite space between any two notes. And so there's infinite possibilities for, for pitch and for tone. Yeah. Uh, from my understanding, even if the, we can't distinguish you know, the smaller differences, but um, to what you're saying, mm-hmm. just expose ourselves and our bodies to these different types of expression and these different frequencies that mm-hmm. are in other cultures that, that have been tuned differently. Correct. Yeah. And then lastly, I would say get out into nature and listen to it. Yes. Go sit in the woods. I know that sounds funny. List, just listen, leave your phone in the car um, go to a waterfall, go to a rainforest if you can afford to travel, and just listen. Take in the frequency. Take in the vibration. Um, and yeah, those are the things I'd say I'd suggest to sort of com- combat or remedy the, the sort of harmful frequencies that we take in. Okay, go, so everybody get out in nature. And you, mm-hmm. most people can do that. It's spring. Uh, well, spring here, uh, fall for some of our listeners, but either way. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- thank you very much, David Huey. We are out of time, but so glad to talk to you. And I hope you'll um, come back and visit us soon. Um, you are listening to Mastermind with Dr. Rebecca. I do want to let you know that I have a series on sound online at drrebeccamd.com, a little mini ebook that you can pick up. That is, is excellent for just talking to you a little bit more about the impact of sound on your life. Again, that's Dr. Rebecca, D-R-R-E-B-E-K-A-H dot com. And it'll, it's a, an, um, a, an ebook, a mini ebook on sound. And with that, we will end and we will see you next week on Mastermind. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Mastermind. Please join Dr. Rebecca for another show next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers channel. We'll talk again next week.